Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome in to episode 32 of Essential Coaching Conversations. Kyle, we're officially past the one month of content. This is this is incredible. Um, episode 32, I think, you know, a, as we reflect on that a little bit, I think it's still 31 more episodes than we thought we'd have when we started this from the very beginning. Um, and just even looking at the stats, you brought this up in the pre-show, just had our second best day ever of the pod in terms of numbers of listens and engagements. Um, so just big thank you to everybody out there who continues to listen, who continues to find some sort of value in what we're doing. Um, you know, the invitation is always there to interact via Twitter, via email. We just had somebody uh, respond to one of the videos that have been going out. So, you know, excited to engage with that person as well. If you don't know what we're talking about, check out um, at Coach Essential on Twitter. Twice a day, generally, there's going to be video content from our podcasts going out. Um, feel free to to retweet those, to engage with those. Uh, we make them so that we can, number one, we can drive people to listen. That's That's the obvious sort of business piece of it. But then number two, also give you sort of snippets and and sort of you know, little quick hitters from the pods themselves. So you don't have to go and listen to the whole thing right away. And you can sort of get some context of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, and it's been kind of a labor of love to make those videos, but we're just appreciative that they're getting views and, you know, people are looking at them and they're, they're engaging with them. Um, and obviously, you know, we do this for, for you all, for our EC fam, for the community out there. Um, that continues to support the mission that we're on for exponential generational change. So excited to bring you episode 32. Kyle, I'm going to throw it to you if you got anything for the intro. Yeah, again, just thanking everybody. It was cool to see uh, really great traffic on the pod the other day. And a big a big part of that was uh, the recent episode of What Are You Afraid Of? And I think that that, that title in of itself is a, is a good catchy title. Um, got maybe a little clickbaity. Um, but a lot of people have, have drawn to that because I think we're all, we're all afraid of something. Um, we all have our own fears and insecurities, and that's actually going to kind of lead us into, uh, the conversation that we have today. I think it, it teased that up, uh, pretty well, but definitely want to thank everybody for, for tuning in and being a part of it. And whether you're, you know, a 32 time listener, uh, or more, um, and you're going back and checking out episodes more than once and taking notes, we appreciate you. Um, or if it's the first time you've, you've heard us, we appreciate you checking it out and, um, even if it's the one and only time uh, you check this out, uh, we appreciate it. And if, again, if you you agree with us, you don't agree with us, um, that's part of it. It's 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 creating the conversation because if we say something you don't agree with, it's at least getting you to pause, think, reflect, and in your own way, you're getting better. And that that again is 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 awesome and part of the conversation. And um, a couple quick uh, shout outs for some things. We had a very busy week last week. Um, obviously we have our own, uh, Monday night chats and the EC rocket chat, uh, and, the the series that we've been, been going on has been, has been really good. And we've been getting a lot of feedback, especially offline about that. So we appreciate that, but we also got to, uh, take over, uh, the Texas high school football chat. Um, and if you're not familiar with that for all the football, really any coach, but especially any football coaches, um, that are out there, if you will go, go give them a follow. Uh, and they do a, a, a chat on Wednesday nights, uh, where we got to take it over last week. Uh, so what, la what I'm saying last week, what date was that a scene? Um, so for some context, February, February 24th, -ish? February 24th. Yeah. yeah. Um, where or, we talked about not the 24th. Um, anyway, maybe like the 23rd, 22nd, yeah, somewhere like that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, 22nd, 23rd, I guess the 22nd. Um, yeah. Okay. There we go. February 22nd, uh, where we talked about, um, a little bit of a decluttering season and, and how do we, how do we go into our off seasons to, to prioritize our rest, health recovery. Um, and so for football coaches, you're in that off season right now. And, um, so that was really great an opportunity to take over and we appreciate, 
um, everybody that's involved with with that chat to give us an opportunity to sort of cross streams, as it were. Um, and then we got the, a really great thing, something that was in the works for a very long time to keep an eye out for. We were on the It's the Fifth Quarter podcast with Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman, and we appreciate an opportunity to go on there and just get to chat with them. We we owe a, a lot to, to those two and, and Layson in particular um, for giving us kind of our, our start on those clinics during all the COVID lockdowns. And so we got to reminisce about that uh, quite a bit. And um, we kind of left it with the potential for a part two. Um, so we're excited about, you know, in a, in a month or so when all of our respective seasons kind of wind down to get on that. So we hope that you go give those two accounts a follow, um, go find them, do, check out the good work that they're doing, and then um, be able to look for, you know, if, you're, if you like what we do, there'd be another opportunity for you to catch some of the things that that we do and talk about um, on some different platforms. Yeah, and the fifth, the fifth quarter pod was actually, that was like a lot of fun to record that oh, with incredible. those two guys like spending yeah. just kind of an evening like not not even talking hoops but just talking like dynamics in hoops and like you know i thought jeff had some awesome questions so i'm excited oh. for that to get released incredible hey his reflect i mean he had us speechless a couple times and we like to think we ask good questions um and he he hit us with some really great ones and um even some that were off the air um mm -hmm. that were really great so but again really great resources great people um, and if you're a coach out there looking to connect with some like-minded people and, um, you know, kind of do that kind of thing, those, those would be two really good ones. Yeah, we'll definitely tag them in the show notes and make sure that we direct people to their social channels because um, they're definitely worth uh, the follow and and also like active following, not just saying click follow, but actually like engaging with their content because um, it is really, really, really good. Um, but let's move on to the issue at hand here in episode 32. And that is where we're sort of back to our vision roadblocks. I think this is probably the longest we've gone between vision roadblock episodes. Um, but just sort of the slow build to vision alignment being kind of the crux of like things we can sort of control. Um, because when I think like the other vision roadblock that we have left to talk about is resources. And we really can't control a lot of our resource conversation. Um, there are a lot of finite resources out there. I think when you think about like money and time and things like that, like obviously that's not the topic for today's episode, but to sort of differentiate these two remaining vision roadblocks, I think the things that we've done um, probably over the last like two-ish months with the series on fun and then, um, you know, what are you afraid of? And some of the other you know, bits and pieces here and there that we've sort of talked about all sort of lead to this idea of vision alignment, because I think as a coach, as a teacher, as a professional, um, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about what the vision can be, what it should be, what you want it to be, and sort of how we get there. But I think this is really one of the first times that we've sort of put it all together with how do you get other people there? And day to day, how do we take what we want for our vision? And, and that can be as a head coach, it can be as an assistant coach, like how do we recruit other people to get aligned to that vision? And then also like evaluating our success with that vision um, and sort of kind of give you a little bit of a table of contents. Um, that's a lot of what the conversation is going to be about today is defining what that success is. How do we measure that? How do we understand that? How do we internalize it? And then how do we like block out things that don't align to the vision, but we can't just block them out. We actually have to go through that reflective process. So when we think about the RACA process, reflection, awareness, clarity, alignment, this is sort of that last step to where we can then get to congruence with our vision. And so while this one is sort of on the tail end of the six vision roadblocks, I think it was important for us to go through the processes of recording maybe the last like six or seven episodes to tee up a lot of what this conversation can and will be about um, and sort of enter it into, into the listener's mind of how they can go on and, and, and go through that reflective process about whether they're living that vision, whether they're aligning to that vision and how they get other people to that vision. Yeah, and to, just to kind of recap, um, if you're searching for these other episodes, uh, episode 10 was our introduction to these roadblocks where we sort of go, 
tee a lot of these up and kind of talk about what, uh, how we kind of got to these six uh, in particular and kind of the research and, and that went into it when we were starting all of this. And then episode 11, we start with the next connection. Uh, then uh, engaged investment was next. And then episode 20 was stability. And episode 25 was attainability of the vision. And here we are at 32. So yeah, it's it's been uh, about seven episodes since we've done this. And I, I think that when we originally talked about this idea of doing an episode on each of the roadblocks, and we still have the resources one left to do, we didn't want to just record these in straight succession and put them out. We wanted to intentionally build some time in between them and wait, because I think this is this is also sort of us modeling this process, right? Modeling the RACA process where we don't want to just kind of breeze through this because a lot has happened, you know, in 32 episodes for us. And it, it you know, sort of guides and gauges um, our conversation and the things that we reflect on and how we get to where we get. Um, and so I think it's important to know that that these things do take time. And so especially as you know, for those of you that are, are in an off season or you're getting ready to wind down, there's a lot of high school state tournaments that are happening right now. Colleges are getting into their conference tournaments. You know, all, the off season is quickly approaching for a lot of people um, in a lot of different areas. And then if you're a spring sport, you'll be hitting this in a few months when you get into the summer months. And so I think it's important to understand that we cannot get to the alignment piece if we have not done the, the reflection, the awareness and the clarity. We can't just skip to the alignment. And I think a lot of times us as coaches and leaders, when we, let's say we're taking over a job or, you know, we just, it's the process is not happening as happening as, as fast as we may feel, or we feel like there's a lot of pressure coming from administration and we've got to get some things turned around really quickly. And, you know, we afraid we might get let go or we might lose a kid to this, or we're going to lose our staff and just all those, those fears and things that we are afraid of that we talked about in the last episode that we have to sort of cut corners and get there. And I don't think that, that that's possible. And, and sometimes was as fast and, you know, we want to speed these things up as we possibly can. The climate part doesn't really allow for that uh, to get us to the culture piece. And so I, I, I do think that um, just sort of us reflecting on doing these episodes, that the way we've done them have been a pretty good model for how this should go and understanding that it is going to take time to get to those things. So if you're feeling like um, this is taking longer than it should, or you're not where you need to be, uh, just a quick sort of word of caution of like, that's okay. Um, and that if you do try to rush through it, likely you're going to miss some things along the way and you can't really cheat this stuff. Everybody out here, you know, we see on social media all the time is there's a hack for this or a you know, a, a cheat code for that or whatever. And it's like, those, those things don't, don't really exist. Uh, you have to take the time and put the work in. And so it takes all of this to get to the alignment part. And alignment is not just within ourselves. It's within everybody that's around us because we're not doing this alone. Um, you know, there, we, we're, we're one person on a staff or one person in a particular department. We're one person at a school within a sport, one person on a team. And it's not about like just me getting where I want to go. I've got to be able to bring others with me or I have to go with other people. And if you're into the idea that leadership equals influence, then it's again, it's not about you just figuring out where you want to go. It's it's being able to get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction, you know, rowing the boat together, whatever, you know, sort of cliche thing you want to want to use, pounding the stone, whatever. It doesn't matter, but everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction and and being aligned within our department without outside of that, because then we can carry this conversation into administration, community, other stakeholders, parents. I mean, this is an ongoing, you know, ever evolving, ever changing thing. And the, and the process is, I mean, I would argue it's never really done. Um, it's something that's continually ongoing and evolving. And I, I again, that's just a, a word of caution. Like, don't think like, oh, okay, well, when we hit the end of summer, we'll be there, we'll be aligned because there's always going to be a very fluid situation to things no team is the same from one season to the next no team is the same one week to the next honestly um as we get down to it because we're all dealing with all of these things and and to kind of tie this back into last episode we're all bringing our own fears our own insecurities into each of these situations and so if you're a head coach and you've got a staff you you're bringing your own fears and insecurities but you got to understand that everybody else is too and so how do we I guess this is maybe the first question to seem like, how do we navigate this to get to understanding 
How do we reflect and become aware of what the fears and insecurities are to even get past all of that, to even have the hope of becoming aligned with one another? That's a really good question. I mean, I think if we had the answer to that question in its entirety, we'd be billionaires. We probably wouldn't have to have a podcast, right? Um, I think, you know, one thing you said that really struck me that I think helps to start answering the question is understanding that we're never really done. Yeah. And I think no matter how long you've been doing this or how long you've been in a place, and, and this is like, like this is for people who've been in a place for a long time or a very short time. I think the biggest like roadblock in this roadblock is assuming that people are on board and that people oh. are kind of like they're with it because they're there. And so I, I take this as like when I, and I'll give an example. So when I took over a new job, I took over at South County High School in the fall of 2018. When I say the fall, I took over in like mid-September, almost October. And I had just been kind of, you know, moved on or, or non-renewed from my contract at my previous school the day before teaching contracts started. So if you think about that, that's a really like tenuous time. It was August 17th. I remember the date because I will never forget the date. So to be in that situation and not know like, hey, where am I going to be coaching next? And to sort of have to revisit my vision for what I was trying to build at one place and then go have to do it somewhere else where their community reached out to me because it was the rival school. They had seen what I had built or what we had built uh, at, at, you know, at Woodson High School. And to be able to go sell that vision somewhere else in a very short period of time without really understanding who I was selling that to, I couldn't make the assumption that people are just on board because I'm there now. Like, hey, you got what you wanted. I'm here now. You just got to do what I say. And the vision is going to be this. Because I think if my vision didn't match what the community's vision was and what the administration's vision was, I wouldn't have gotten the job in the first place. Mm. And one thing that I had to be very careful about, and, and this is sort of another piece of that, like a word of caution to coaches, is what I just said, right? Number one, you can't assume that people are in it because they're there. A lot of times people are there by default because you're always going to have somebody who you've inherited, whether that is players that you recruited, whether that's players that were there and you just took over a new job, whether that's their families, they're coming with their own assumptions about what coaching is, about what the program is supposed to be about, about what they want for their kid. They're coming with their own insecurities from maybe the last coach. Um, you know, and we dealt with all of those things. And it was a recruiting job every single day to get kids and families to take ownership of the vision. And so we talk about good, better, best. Like, we don't want them to just have buy-in. We don't want them to just be invested. We want them to take ownership, but that's a process to get there. And people are always changing and growing. Their schemas or, or the things like the predetermined ways in which their experiences have allowed them to see the world, those are always changing. And they, there's always assumptions that are going to be made about like people's intentions and things like that. And so I say all of that to say, that's a really, really good example. And I, I'm not going to go into all the details of how we did that just yet, but that's a really, really good example of understanding, number one, as a coach or as a leader, this is what I'm about, right? This is very clearly, I am about creating that exponential generational change and helping people make the next best decision in whatever they're trying to do. And being able to then go and take that vision into an interview process, into that first parent meeting, into that first meeting with the kids and say, this is all we are going to be focused on. I don't expect you to jump in with two feet right away. I think that that is a false assumption that once we get a job, once we, you know, I think about like assistant coaches. Assistant coaches aren't going to jump in with two feet right away. Because more often than not, when they start with you as a head coach, they have their own ideas that they have been working on for years, or they just don't know anything, right? If it's their first job ever, 
And it's going to be really hard for them to jump in with two feet. So every year, every day, every week, you have to sort of start over and understand that the work that we did yesterday is building on the work that we did today and that we have to continue to move toward that alignment intentionally. And if we don't do that and we make the assumption that, oh, well, people are here, so like they should, they're, they're like bought in, they're into mm-hmm. it, they're aligned with what we're trying to do. Like that's a faulty assumption in my, in my opinion, which then breeds misalignment. And the more we allow that to happen, we've created our own entropy. And so this idea of like, we're never really done with this. The first step to that is really realizing, number one, what your vision is, which we've talked about before, but then asking the next question of everybody in your purview, hey, what do you want out of this? What's your vision for this whole thing? Where is there misalignment? Where is there alignment? Where can we find agreement? And then being able to recruit them and say, listen, especially, and this is more for the head coaches, like, hey, this is what my vision is. This is where I think we can go. Give me something factual that proves this right or wrong. And so before I turn it back to you, I'll, I'll give another example where I think this is really salient. And this is something we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks with evaluative processes. When we're thinking about like recruiting or we're thinking about even like your spring league tryouts, AAU tryouts, evaluating players, the vision is not just the end goal of what we're trying to get to. So that, you know, next best decision, this, that, and the other. That vision takes place in small increments where we have to get the right people on the bus in order for us to go do what we're trying to do. But we cannot have it in our mind that we need these archetypal players in order to be successful. We have to look at every individual in our program as somebody who needs something. It's our job to give them what they need and not give too much of ourselves. And Kyle, you mentioned this in the pre-show, and I don't think I'm doing it justice, so I may need you to clean this up here. (laughs) Not give them so much of ourselves that there's nothing left for anybody else. And so in, in so doing, being able to really like hone in on, okay, we are recruiting XYZ player because they can do ABC. We are not going to pigeonhole them. We are not going to make that a fixed mindset about who that kid is. Our vision as a staff is that when players come here, they're going to get better. Here's the plan we're going to put in place for them. Now we can recruit them to our vision and get a line even before they sign to come here. Or even before they try out for our team and they make our team, we've had this discussion with that player to say like, here's where we think you can get better. Here's our plan for you over the next three months of working with you and going to these live events and whatever. We can do all of these things together, right? It's all the same. It's the same as when you take over a new program. You don't just go in there sort of like, guns blazing and say, we're going to make all these changes and do all these things. No, you ask a lot of those questions first, see where everybody else's head is at. And then you compile those results and you don't adjust your vision. You adjust the steps to creating that vision and making it come true. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's got to be incremental because like you said, you can't come in and necessarily just blow this thing up and all of a sudden it's going to all be quote unquote fixed. And, and we've, we've talked about this, I'm sure on previous episodes, and I know it's something you and I talk about a lot of time. We don't like the word fixed um, because things are not inherently fixed, you know, because if you view it as being fixed, it means that we put it away and we don't sort of maintain it anymore. Um, and it's, it's never this idea that like the culture is fixed. And so we can, move on to something else or direct our attention elsewhere, because that's when things get broken again, right? Like there's constant maintenance that has to occur. But um, something you said, and I made a note here, uh, talking about like, just because we're there doesn't mean that we're in, we're bought in or we're invested or we're taking ownership. Like that has to be allowed first off, Um, sort of the good, better, best of buy-in investment and ownership that that has to be an active process that where you relinquish some of that that control and ownership for uh as a quick aside but just because we're there just because we have quote unquote good kids just because our kids are compliant 
and they follow the 87 rules that we've got in our 120 page rule book and we don't deal with bad kids or them breaking rule doesn't mean that they're bought in invested or 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 taking part ownership of this it doesn't mean that we're completely aligned they might just be good compliant kids because they're afraid of getting in trouble or they kind of have figured out by virtue of a daily climate they know within our culture this is what they can and can't get away with and they know this is how they have to be careful or this is what they need to do to stay on the floor this is what they need to to do to avoid being taken off the floor. So I do think that, that that part of that conversation is don't just assume that we have this alignment, uh, especially to the degree that we need, just because those those players are there, just because they continue to show up, or just because they say yes or no, sir, um, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, just because um, you know they're not actively causing problems. Because I do think there is something to be said for um, not being part of the problem but then also actively being part of the solutions. And I think once we have everybody, again, sort of pulling in the same direction and everyone actively searching for solutions together, that's when we're, we're hitting you know, what we're sort of describing as alignment, which may seem like this massively abstract thing. And it's, it is sort of hard to describe it, but I think it's one of those things that when you're in the middle of it, you know whether you have it or you don't. And that's when we're starting to get, again, not even just alignment, we're, we're moving beyond that into to the congruence part of this conversation where we, we're actively having um, success and success, however, you know, we've sort of defined it. And I do think that that comes back to part of, you know, the conversation of what we say versus what they hear. Um, we have to be very careful about that sometimes that we can say all the right things or we can say that we're saying all the right things. Um, but are they hearing and are they buying what we are selling? And I don't think you can get to that answer unless we're constantly going through the rock of evaluative process that we're constantly reflecting and asking those those questions to to raise some of that awareness because once we hit that once we hit um, you know that level of clarity, we can start to assess and evaluate whether or not we are actually aligned. Um, and I do uh, another sort of point that you kind of mentioned this from the pre-show. I do think a big part of, um, you know, we as coaches, uh, leaders, educators, whatever role you're in, that we do sort of wear this badge of honor that by the end of the season, we are supposed to just have nothing left of ourselves because we gave everything we had to the program and to our players and to our team. And we take a lot of pride in quote unquote, giving everything we have to someone else. That's in the name of servant leadership, right? That's why we got into this. But I do think we sort of get into this bullseye wrong target area where, yes, you may have given everything you had to your team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you gave your team what they needed. And I think that's a very, very big reflective evaluative uh, conversation that you need to have with yourself and with your staff and with your players after the season. And again, we're getting into this point in time where everybody's going to start their evaluative uh, periods. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, yes, I gave them everything I had. How do I know that? Well, because I'm exhausted. I barely survived the season. I crashed. I got sick at the end. I mean, we, we hear this all the time. You and I talk about this all the time. We've been not feeling well because we've given everything we have, but did we give what they needed? And to me, that's true congruence. That's true success is not just giving you what I have, but I got to give a seam exactly what a seam needed. And I can't do that without the human component. I can't do that without the connection and the relationship piece to even know what it is uh, that you might need. And so if I'm going to sit here and give you everything I've got, well, that means that I don't have enough left to give to the other facets of my life. So while it might seem like this great servant martyrdom, to give everything you had to your players in your program, well, then what do you have left over to give to your own families? What do you have left over to give back to yourself? What do you have left to give to these other aspects of your job? Because if you're a, if you're a high school coach and a teacher, then you've got a classroom you've got to give things to. You might have 15 basketball players, but you've got 100 students 
that are relying on you. And then you've got a wife, a kid, a, you know, a families at home, social life, uh, a church community or whatever, where you have other people in other areas of your lives that are depending on you. And oh, by the way, you need to depend on you. You mm. need to have something left to give back to yourself. Um, and so I think that if we're going to get to that alignment again, like I just keep coming back to this thought that we can't get there if a, we don't know what that vision, you know, is, and we go through all of these other roadblocks, but we have to, con we have to constantly be, you know, in this reflective, this period and, and process, um, to know whether or not we're even on the path that we said we were supposed to be on. What I hear you saying is that we need to be able to define what success is for us. Mm. And not just for us, but for every stakeholder in our program. And so like we can maybe put them in buckets. So like parents might be kind of their own thing. Like what does it mean to have a successful experience for parents? We're not going to talk about that part right now. I think as <clears throat> I think as coaches largely we will say that success is not about winning and losing and you won't know if you have a successful team until 10 years out, right? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Ultimately, everybody wants to win. And I think the coaching trope that gets used a lot is you'll know if you were successful, if you maximize the potential of your team. I'll tell you right now, then there's a lot of coaches who are not successful. There's a lot of coaches that are, don't get me wrong. The two win coach that had to drive the bus, they only had one set of uniforms. They had to, all of these things that they had to do just to eke out those two wins. That's successful, especially if the players on the team were unwavering in their ability to commit to one another. They had the human component down. They had all of those things. Now, from the external point of view, that two-win team is a two-win team. Oh, man, they're terrible. But we don't know what they had to go through to get those two wins. So let's take wins and losses out of it. All right, let's take wins and losses out of it for a second. Internally, on the team, and this is where that vision alignment really, like, shows through. And I'll give an example from my coaching career here in a second. Internally on the team, have we defined what success looks, feels, and acts like in our program? And that doesn't mean having like, quote unquote, championship habits or any of this crap that coaches say. Let's have like a tangible, real example of what success feels like in our program. We are not going to win every game, all right? Even UConn women's basketball has lost a couple times this year, okay? Very few teams ever will go undefeated. And, and you've, you and I have talked about this before. The more we won, the more miserable it was, all right? So again, we're taking wins and losses out of this. And let's really say, like, internally, what does success feel like for us? Can we agree? on what would make a successful season. And when you ask this question to every player in your program, every coach in your program, everybody's going to come up with something different. All right. Especially if we take wins and losses out of it, we've actually broadened the scope of what those answers could be. But generally they fall into a lot of the same buckets. I want to have fun. I want to feel like I got better. I want to have a great relationship with my teammates and my coaches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when Kyle's talking about giving people what they need. When we reframe this and we say, hey, what is the definition of success internally for us? The players and the other coaches, especially if you're a head coach, they are going to tell you exactly what that is in their own way and like what they need. And so I'll give an example. Let me give two examples. When I was a first year head coach, all right, we were not very good. And I think I've said this before on the pod. Like, we lost like 10 straight games in January. It was the worst. All right. Internally, I felt like I was failing my team because we were losing. And like, there was no way for us to figure this out because teams were just better than us. Right. Like, they just like they had better basketball players. 
But because of the work that we had done to sell that vision of like, we just got to get better every single day. We are here to serve and add value. Let's keep perspective about all of these things. You would never know that we were in the midst of a 10 game losing streak. If you walked into our gym, you'd have thought we were undefeated because of the confidence that our players had and the confidence that our coaches had in what we were doing and how we were operating the program. All right. Fast forward to, I guess what now that's eight years later, asking a player, Hey, what can I do to support you during the game this weekend? Coach, there's nothing you can do for me, like X's and O's wise or technique wise or anything like that. Can you just please make sure that I'm having fun with this? That was the answer from one of the players. Bet. I got you. Because that's what you need. Right? So if we have defined success internally, that answer should be pretty clear no matter when I ask that question. Now, people continue to grow and change. They might have a different answer. They might say like, hey, I'm really struggling right now with XYZ. Could you help me? Right? Those are all things that come with having that relationship and sort of selling that vision of like what we're trying to do. I think where we get in trouble is doing all of that stuff, like front loading that at the beginning. And then as the season goes on or as the year goes on or as our career goes on, moving away from that internal definition of success and aligning what our vision is to what's happening outside the program in terms of what people think about us and what others would deem to be success. And I say others as like not your administration or anything like that, but like outside the program, parents, it could be fans, it could be the message boards, it could be any of those things. It's impossible not to pay attention to that stuff. As much as you want to say like, hey, let's block out distractions, let's do this. It's very, very difficult to do that. All right. It's, it's almost like, um, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I think it's almost asking too much of people to like actively block that out, but then also actively allow other things in. I think that's like creates a lot of effort that's not being put forth to the right things. And so I guess the, the, the question that comes from this very long statement um, is how do we get everybody on board with that definition of success and then keep that going so that we can continually like realign. It's almost like, you know, like a, like a Lego is sort of sticking out of the pack and we got to just realign it one more over and just keep sticking out. How do we get everything back into that alignment so that as we approach the end of our season, we are in the most alignment possible, which then I would consider to be us peaking at the end of the season. Yeah, I just wrote down maximize our alignment. So if we're going to talk about what success is, and then that got me that got me thinking back to some some blog thoughts that I had. Um, I guess it's been a couple of years ago since we put those up on the the website. But you know, what does success mean to us? And sort of redefining success. So redefine what winning is. Redefine what losing is. And like you said, if it just simply comes down to a scoreboard, then it becomes a little a, a much simpler conversation but it also greatly reduces like what we're doing here. You know, if that's what we're just going to kind of constrain all this down to and understand that we're just going to have this miserable existence if we, if we don't win. And for most coaches out there, they know they're not going to win. They're not going to win a state championship. I mean, I, I would made up statistic 90% of the teams out there. No, I'm not winning a state championship this year. And so if that's what we're going to reduce this down to just this little pile of rubble of like at the end of the, the you know, last number on a scoreboard at the end of the year, then A, like, man, I feel like we're really limiting our potential and what we can and can't do. And then it just sounds kind of miserable, um, you know, to know that that's, that's really what it's going to come down to. So if we can redefine what success, redefine what quote unquote losing is, redefine really what, what winning actually is. And I, I want to say that like some of those thoughts were just like reducing variability and complexity, kind of redefining our process establishing what those standards are, not just following the rules, um, redefining what uh, character is in our program, talking about climate over culture, re talking about 
you know, rest and recovery and, and bringing in these other aspects, which again, now are, are much more within our own control. It, it makes winning and it makes success so much more controllable in uh, eliminating a lot of the things that are outside of our control. And I think once you start to view it that way, and once you start to view alignment as success or congruence as success, and once you start to realize like, hey, if we, if we redefine this to the things that we can actually do something about, A, it becomes more fulfilling, it becomes more fun. But man, to me, like it, it took a load off of my shoulders to think like, oh, okay, like I actually can have an active process in being a part of the, the solution again, and not just hoping and praying that like kids hit shots. And not just that our kids hit shots, but that the other team just might actually miss some. So, so let me ask this, because I think this is where like some of this can become a little bit theoretical and it's like, okay, well, I don't have control over that because I'm an assistant coach or whatever. So let's put this into like real context of what you're talking about, the controllable piece of this. Let's talk about player development. All right. So player development is something we can control because we control the amount of time that we have to spend on certain things. Do you believe, and this is more of just a general question, and we can sort of go from here. When we're talking about the vision, yes, we have our overarching vision, but what about our vision for each player and their own development? And it's sort of the same thing in the classroom, like the vision for little Johnny might be the different for the vision for Sally, but at the end of the day, we want them both to improve. How do we maximize vision alignment when it comes to things like player development? It's a great question. I feel like I say that every episode where <laughs> you hit me with something. I'm, uh, and I, I think it's, it's a little different in the, in the classroom versus the court because everybody is kind of, success is going to be different, right? Like everybody's right. kind of vying right. for their own grade in the classroom. Whereas, you know, it's not necessarily a, now you as a teacher, you're, you're hoping for like a class average if you're tested and those kinds of variables. Um, but I, again, like I, I can't get climate over culture out of my head because again, I think that's the more micro piece of this. Like I have my overarching vision for what our culture should be, but I should also have a, 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 a climate vision for every single person that's in the gym or in the room. And that just doesn't include my players, but that includes my staff too. Like, how am I setting my staff up for success? How do I make sure that me and my staff are aligned and that they feel like that they're part of that alignment? And again, not just not actively screwing things up, but they're getting to be a part of the solution. Where's their level of buy-in investment and ownership in terms yeah. of the development for each one of those players in the gym too? So, so to that point, I was watching um, Iowa versus Indiana, and it was the, the game where Caitlin Clark hit the three to win the game. It was amazing. And what I noticed in each of the timeouts, like late in the game, the head coaches had nothing to do with what was going on at the timeout. The assistant coaches were the ones drawing it up or showing on the scout, like, hey, this is probably what they're going to run. Like, they were so locked in, and it seemed like externally that they were so aligned in their roles and what they were trying to do. And the players trusted that that assistant who had the scout knew what they were talking about. Yeah. All right. And so there was this alignment between the players, between the coaches, and they were like, they were into it. Not because it was a rivalry game, not because it was number six versus number two. It's on national television. They got the best player in the country. Like all of these storylines are great, but the reality is that's an organization of people that looks like they trust each other. Yes. And the adults in the room are being the adults in the room. And, you know, Lisa Bluter, who has like 486 wins now at Iowa is like standing on the edge of the huddle talking to like the bench kids while her assistant goes through what's about to happen, fully trusting that that's possible. And so to get to that point, like Caitlin Clark doesn't just show up at Iowa and like is shooting 35 foot bombs and is the, well, I mean, she probably was actually, but like she had to earn that trust from Lisa Bluter to be able to do that. Right. And there's all, there's four other players on the court. And then the same mm -hmm. thing with, with Indiana, like Indiana was not very good when Terry Morin first took over. And now Indiana is the number two team in the country. Why is that the case? Because there's trust on that team because they're aligned in what they're trying to do. It doesn't mean they're always aligned in what they're trying to do, but their players get better year over year, over year, over year. And so it's my assertion. And I'm curious what you think about this, this is my assertion that like, 
throughout those organizations. And I'm just using those two as the example because it just happened this past weekend. Going through and understanding like those two organizations. The players on the team, like Mackenzie Holmes from, from Indiana. Mackenzie Holmes wasn't always Mackenzie Holmes, the dominant post player from Indiana. Grace Berger wasn't always Grace Berger, the dominant like you know guard from Indiana. They had to work at that, but there was a plan in place and there was a, something to align to in order to say, hey, if we can reach this level in your development, we're going to be the number two team in the country. We're going to be 26 and one going into this matchup with, with Iowa, who in their own right is really, really good. I think they're like 22 and four or something. They have the best player in the country. And we're going to take them to the wire and make them make a buzzer beater to beat us. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, I'm sure that the, the locker room was down. Like, I'm sure they were like, man, this sucks. So we just lost on a buzzer beater. But when you take that, that vision alignment view of this, they did exactly what they wanted to do. The vision for that game was clear. They had a game plan going into it. Everybody was taking ownership of that game plan. It, it sucks that the Chloe kid from Indiana got tripped on the screen and she fell over. Should they have probably doubled Caitlin Clark? Yes. But the reality is, like, in those moments, you see whether there's alignment or not. And it doesn't matter that Indiana didn't win the game. In the grand scheme of things, like it does not affect anything for the Big Ten tournament. It does not affect their national seeding. Like they're going to be fine. But when you talk about like every member of the staff feeling like they have ownership over aligning to that vision, when every player on the team is locked in on the vision itself, and there's alignment with, you know, one through 15. It's evident. And so they define their success the way they define their success. But there was a plan. You can tell that there's a plan for every player that walks into that program of, hey, you're going to come here and you're going to get better. And here's how you're going to get better. If you align to that vision and we work together on this, we will be respectively number two and number six in the country. If you don't, it will work as hard as you want to work. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably not the place for you if you don't want to be that. I think that's the flip side of it is if we're that convicted in what our our vision is, we have to get the right people to align to that vision too, good or bad. Yeah, the... The thing that I just wrote down here was, you know, sometimes as a coach, like we, we will kind of say like, or at least in our own heads, we might not admit this out loud, but we quote, feel good about a loss. And then there are times where a win feels like a loss. And I think it comes back to like, okay, we did what we could do because we were aligned. Like that was our version of success. And like, again, yes, the scoreboard didn't work out in our favor, but does, does Indiana feel any different if that shot just happens to not go in? It was an extremely difficult shot. Well, that changes all the fans' viewpoints and the message boards, and it changes the it changes the uh, the, the questions at the press conference and and what their coach is going to have to talk about at their you know coaches show on a Monday night somewhere. But because I think that's where like the public, like Joe fan, that's where they're inclined to say like, oh, well, there are no moral victories, quote unquote. Well, you know, we don't do moral victories around here. Well, your moral victory is me knowing that we did everything that we could do and we were completely aligned and I trusted my, my, my players and my staff. If that's what you want to define as kind of a moral victory and that's just what losers say, then like, okay, you're well within your right to, to say and do that. But I know in the long run, that's what success means to us. And whether or not that shot from Caitlin Clark goes in or not, that's outside of my control as a head coach once the ball leaves her hand. Again, could we have double teamed her and done some other things? Yeah, maybe so. But we could have done it exactly the same way, and we do it 100 times, and she misses 99. That just happens to be the one that goes in, and ultimately we don't determine the physics of that shot. So where, where I come back to, again, like, and if, if you're a coach, and this is where like Joe Fan can be Joe Fan, but you're the head coach, you've got to be able to sleep at night. You've got to be able to wake up tomorrow and go back into practice and say, look, 
we're not worried about that one shot. Not and a a game doesn't come down to one shot, right? Like we talked about when it quote unquote matters, they all matter. You know, if we'd have hit a shot in the first quarter, then we would have been up two possessions anyway, and it wouldn't have come down to that. So I think it just keeps I keep coming back to this idea that we have to define what that's going to mean to us. And and again, if you've if you've if you've ever coached, especially if you've been a head coach. You know what I'm talking about, where you can win and it feels like we lost the game because we didn't play well and we were just better. But there's also times where a loss can feel like a win because we did do everything that we could do. Um, or there was a bad call. Um, and I, you guys probably saw this floating around on Twitter somewhere. But sometimes you get beat on a buzzer beater, the ball's left in somebody's hand and the officials say it's good. You don't control that call. There's no replay in high school athletics in a lot of places. And Shout sometimes, out Bonnie Eagle, Bonnie Eagle basketball, Ben Murphy. I feel terrible for those guys. Terrible, man. Like you did everything. You won the game three times, but you lost. That's outside of our control. And like, how do you gut wrenchingly go in and talk to your kids about that kind of stuff? But then you as the coach that wins that game, how do you go in and tell your kids, hey, we won the game? You know what I mean? So like when you when it it's hard not to get past just the scoreboard part of that. Because those emotions and, the, and those feelings and, and the kids that are in that room and how you sort of handle and move on from that, those are all very, very, very real. And the scoreboard can say you lost and you're out of the bracket, but how do you not feel like you won that game? How do you not feel like you did everything that was within your control, but yet you're still told, no, you're done? And that's a very difficult thing to have to process, but I, I know that, that coaches like Ben and out there they have done that necessary work leading up to that to still feel good about what they did and to look their kids in the eye and say, look, this is awful, terrible. Like, I don't have the words for you right now, but you're going to know that you did everything that you were supposed to do. And just because we lost does not mean we were unsuccessful. Yeah. I, and that's, you know, I, I think you, you and I have been on both sides of the moral victory, right? Of the one we feel really good about. I remember playing against TC Williams. I think it was my second year as a head coach, TC Williams, now Arlington city high school or Alexandria city high school um, of remember the Titans fame. They were like the number two team in the state. And my, mm -hmm. our team was not close to that. And we had a six point lead with like two minutes to go. And our bench is going nuts. And like, we felt really, really good about it. We end up losing the game. And in the locker, our kids are like, yo, we did everything we could. And we just came up a little bit short. And like, that's when I knew that we had a really special group where they were like, no, like we did everything we could do. We had it. And they were, they are a really good team and we had to be perfect and we weren't, but we were darn close to it. And so I think it's, it's important for coaches to be able to sort of ask the question of their their players of their sort of the people in their purview um like ask them what they think the vision is like can they articulate what the vision of the program what yours as the head coach is and if they can't solve that problem number one because we have to have something clear like clearly articulated of where it is we're trying to go and that's, you know, if you harken back to like the vision stability episode, I think that's abundantly clear in that episode of if we don't know where we're going, it's going to be really, really hard for us to get there. Um, and then like, let's say they do, like, let's say they can tell you what it is. Do they understand the importance of that vision? Do they understand the daily process that we're going to go through to get to that vision? how we're going to evaluate how successful we've been with that. And then ultimately like asking them and understanding the answer to this question, do they have a say and active ownership of that pathway to get there? Hmm. And so that sort of brings me back to the player development piece. And I'll keep this part quick, but I think like, especially in college basketball, I, I don't in high school basketball, it's a little bit different because you kind of just have to coach the kids that are there and you got to, I mean, I, I go back and forth about like, 
state rules and things like that. Like when I was in Virginia, we had 32 days outside the winter season that we could be on the court working on their game. We played spring league, fall league. We lifted year round. I mean, there was plenty of time and like plenty of opportunity to get better. But I know up here in Massachusetts, like you can't work with your kids at all in the off season, right? Just it just doesn't happen here. Like it's against the rules of the state association rules, notwithstanding, if you have the opportunity to help players improve and they don't take that opportunity because maybe they're just like, they're not showing up. They have a job. They got to take care of a little brother, little sister, whatever. Like that's one thing. But I think especially in college basketball, and this is sort of like giving some insight for those that are not involved in college basketball. We have a ton of time in college basketball. And in D1, especially in D3, the rules are changing a little bit for the better, I think. Um, In D1, like you can spend as much time as you want working out with players, right? You get 20 hours a week, you got team practice, stuff like that. But getting in the gym with a player is usually not a problem. Working through like on film is generally not a problem. And so I posit to say like, we can give away a lot of that active ownership into aligning to the vision if those previous questions are answered in the right way. So can they articulate what the vision is even for them? Like what is the vision we have as a staff for them? Do they understand the importance of that vision? And it's not just for us to help like winning basketball games. It's their overall development. And then do they have a say in active ownership in the daily pathway to get there? Like I think that daily pathway, it can feel like a grind a little bit, but when it's explained in the right way and it's internalized in the right way, now we've gotten to that alignment place where the players are all in on their own development. I don't know if you agree with that or not, especially working in division one. Like I would see it in division three, like we're adding eight days um, that you can be on the court with your team in the, either after your season or before your season. Right, which has never happened in D3. It used to just be like you had to start October 15th and then you were done at the end of the season. Now you can, and it's every sport, you can take another eight days outside your playing season for like full team practice if you want to, which has never happened before. So like this is a new sort of uncharted thing mm -hmm. where we get more time to develop alignment to that vision instead of saying like, hey, you got to play pickup and lift on your own. And then October 15th, right. we'll just kind of see where we are. Well, my, my first thought is there, okay, well, then what are we going to do with the eight days? You know, again, we're adding more, like more would be a good thing in this instance for a lot of people, but, and this is, you know, maybe a conversation for another time or kind of harkens back to other conversations that we've already had, but like, what are we going to do with those days? If it's the same, you know, we just had 65 practices during the year and we did the same thing over and over and over again, but then all of a sudden we're going to get eight days. Like, how are we going to maximize what those eight days actually mean and then maximize those days for us as a program, but then for each each player individually, um, you know, where where more could be a good thing. But if it's just more of the same and we're sort of underachieving in that mode, then are we really being successful? Like if, if those eight days are not aligned to what we say that we need or that we're going to do or we go through this big evaluative process, let's say we do all that work, but then those eight days show up in the fall. And we revert right back to where we were and we don't commit to what we said we were going to do through that reflective, you know, evaluative process, then are we aligned? And if we're not, then are we successful, which I would argue that we're not. Um, and so, again, I, it, just coming back to this idea that, like, we have to constantly check in with this stuff, that the, the entropy and the unfinished business of the day is not going to go away. Like, we have to keep at this. And so, yes, we have this. You know, we have these these player exit meetings and we have our final staff meeting of the year and we go through all of this and then we don't. That's just sort of it. Like it's a finite ending and then we just move right. on and we don't really come back to it. And why, why are we not constantly checking in? And then, well, let me back up even further. Why is that exit meeting the only time we've talked to kid A when we were with them for four months straight, like if we're not right. constantly checking into these things, like even during the season, but also out of the season. And I think we're missing out opportunities to, to stay in alignment. So it's not, it's one thing to get there, but it's another thing to stay there. And sort of the image that pops in my head is like, you know, if you have a bad back and you go to a chiropractor, like maybe this is a way for them to make more money, but like, they're not going to come in and say like, okay, let me adjust you one time. Right. 
like your muscles and your bones and everything, they're going to go back to where they're, they're used to, where they're comfortable. You have to keep going back and constantly get that alignment done mm-hmm. and that realignment done until the point where the alignment becomes the new permanent thing. But even then, if we just act like it's, again, quote unquote, fixed, and we don't maintenance it, and we don't maintain it, and we don't constantly check in with that, then it will eventually revert back to its old self, or it will morph into something new into these other unintended consequences that we couldn't even foresee in the past. And with just, you know, the world constantly evolving with technology Mm. constantly evolving, you know, we've been hit with things in the last few years that we didn't even know could happen, you know, couldn't even, couldn't fathom something like COVID hitting and pandemics and lockdowns and seasons being canceled and just things that were beyond a, beyond our control, but also like within our wildest dreams, we would have never thought we were going to have to deal with these things. And then once we finally got, if you could get kind of quote unquote used to the day, Mm -hmm. we're still seeing ripple effects and things that are happening years afterwards, even if it's just a, a recruiting conversation, you know, where kids are finally kind of, we're finally kind of getting to the end of like the group that gets a COVID year. And so that's changed the landscape of recruiting for, and, and if, even if you're a high school coach, it's changed the way your kids are getting recruited. Nobody wants an 18 year old right now when they can go rent a 22 year old who has an extra year. Mm-hmm. And so it's just created these, these unintended consequences of things that we could have never foreseen. And we're likely going to continue that. Even once we finally get a hand on that, it, it'll be, it'll be something else. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like, I literally have what you just said written down here. So I have a section in my notes called realignment. How do we get it back? Right. So instead of just going to the chiropractor one time, how do we figure out how to do that on our own and maintain what we're trying to do? And I think that's the piece of alignment that tends to be overlooked is that Mm -hmm. we just think like, okay, we've got it back in alignment. Now we're good. Yep. Or we feel really aligned. Like I think everybody's there. And then like we don't sort of sheepdog people back into the line. And it's not to say that you can't go outside of what you're trying to do, but I think that's part of that reflective process. Like clearly if something is not working, you're not just going to keep doing it. Right. Like I would hope not I would, because I, I think not. as, as coaches, <laughs> like we would say that to a player all the time is like, what's the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. clearly then we have to realign and we have to figure something else out. And so the question becomes like, how do we get it back? Like, what's the process of getting back into alignment? And I think that the next question I have actually answers that with another question is like, I think the first part of the reflective process is do our activities align with what we've said we want to do? And so we talk about those eight days that are being added in division three, or, you know, you've got your player development workouts in in high school division one, like, you've got practice, you've got film, you've got this, you've got that. Like how many of those activities and what percentage within each of those activities actually aligns to what we've said we want to be about? And that's the vision for how we want to play. It's the vision for how we want to teach, how we want to learn, you know, the the objectives that we're trying to hit. Like I think all of those things are part of the vision and and what we need to be aligning to. And like, I would venture a guess to say that here's your made up statistic, 90% of, and I harp on player development because I think it's something that is largely like in, in team sport, like especially in team basketball, once the season starts, we really get no player development happening. So I think it's a, it's sort of like uncharted territory, but do our activities align with what we've said we want to do? So if we want, like for I'll use myself as an example. If my vision is that, you know, we're here to help players make the next best decision on and off the court. If that's the overarching vision and we have our game model, we have our essential elements, if practice isn't aligned at least to it to an 80-90% degree at first and player development is not aligned, like we don't even have time for that. Are we really living the vision of helping them make the next best decision if we're not putting forth 
the commitment to the time and the effort to align to what we said it is we wanted to do in the first place? I would venture to say no. You know what I mean? So then we just hope that players get better and help us achieve that vision when in reality we are our own worst enemy when it comes to that because we have not aligned our literal daily activities with the people that we are there to be with or that we're there to serve. Like we are constantly then in the process of misaligning ourselves and then trying to figure out a way to realign it. And there's no chiropractor for your program. It has to be you in your reflective process or you just call us and we can try to help you with that. But at the end of the day, you have to internalize what is getting you out of alignment and how to get back into it.